Harrison Price for Monday, October 30th, 2023, coming in from the GoGo Sports Studio, built by Arbor Lee here at the Iconic Wall Center after heading to a game in downtown Vancouver. And there's some big ones this weekend, you may have heard. Make a staycation out of it. Call the hotel, 604-331-1000. Matt Sikaris alongside Blake Price, Grace Asset and Switches conducting things. The show presentation of Applewood Auto Group are right now at Applewood Nissan Richmond, Applewood Nissan Langley, Applewood Nissan Surrey. You can finance the 23 Rogue from 3.99% lease or finance the 23 slash 24 Leaf from 6.99%. Then at Infinity in the Richmond Auto Mall, lease the 23 QX50 from 3.49% or a 23 QX60 from 2.99%. Because, Blake, it's all good at Applewood. Bodog poll question today asking you, do you want to see the Canucks in another stadium series game? Yes or no? Vote at Sakarison Price on Twitter. Bodog, your source. Free casino games, poker strategy, sports odds. The San Jose Sharks still winless. They had a 1-0 lead in Washington yesterday, Blake, and they blew it. Lost 3-1. 0-8-1. on under 60.5 points. Wins 100 on your Bodog line of the day. How was your weekend? Uh, it was uh, great. Um, I love these clear and cold fall days. Yep. Um, in the sun, it's actually quite hospitable. Very pleasant. It's quite cold in the shade. Yep. <laughs> um, but it's, and lots of great sports. I mean, mm-hmm. um, I honestly, I, I have found myself watching uh, more sports with the mm-hmm. kids than I ever have before, and it's just it's uh, it's been it's been great. Yeah. Yep. And, uh, you know, these crisp autumn days, it gets me in the mood for Canadian football playoffs. And we have plenty of that going on Mm -hmm. uh, here with UBC and the BC Lions on the weekend. Now, as for the poll question, first of all, really nice job by the Oilers and Flames yesterday. 55,000 at Commonwealth. Love those Oilers unis. I know you don't like the leathery throwback look, but... Or just make the it actual jersey there. itself. Yeah. I thought was yeah the jersey really sharp good. with yeah. the number in the front too. Yeah. Which was, oh, I like the jersey. No, I like that. Love how both teams leaned into it. The Flames with their arrival in the overalls, and I know Chris Tanev is a Toronto boy who's of course spent many years here in Vancouver, but he came by it honestly. Tanev looked like he was made for that oh, get-up. And, and the Oilers in the patchwork. Uh, Absolutely. A lot of them look like they were fresh off the patch, yeah, too. No, uh, it was, no, really well done. As we have talked about, these stadium series games have gone from being national television events to more local market events. But I will say, and you know, particularly with Seattle in the league now and this Kraken Canucks rivalry needing a, a stoke, I think missed opportunity that it's not the Canucks. Yes, in Seattle on New Year's Day that it's the Vegas Golden Knights. But they want two American. Of teams. course, they want for the yeah. U.S. television yeah. side two American teams. But I do think a Vancouver Seattle stadium game has to happen down there. And quite frankly, Blake, I think one needs to happen up here as well to um, atone, redeem. Yes, 
the stadium series game between the Canucks and the Senators, and boy, did that do wonders for the rivalry, right? Uh-huh. Going um, back 100 years to a cup final rematch. I like that no, they scored. Seattle, Seattle and Vancouver should happen at BC Place eventually. I like that they scored goals in this Heritage Classic because so many of these outdoor games, because the ice isn't often that great, um, you don't get a ton of goals. And there were some goals, so it was just nice. Yeah. Anyways, we shall see if the uh, Canucks find themselves back in one of these stadium series games. But given the way they're doing these things, you would think that the Canucks number is going to be up here eventually, particularly if they're going to continue to do Canadian stadium series games, right? Yeah. If not as the host, then as the visitor at some point. Although at this point, Matt, they're playing much better inside. Right. So all the more on, reason for on. a big audience to want to come see them. I'm sure Francesco's <laughs> going, now that we're finally playing well, well say we thing. can get 50,000 to BC Place. If you're the Canucks, you might almost say, mm-hmm. wait another year. Hopefully we get even better. Yeah. And then people will actually want to flood the stadium. 4-3, the Canucks lose in overtime to the New York Rangers on Saturday, but they beat the St. Louis Blues 5-0 on Friday, the rare back-to-back Friday Saturday at Rogers Arena. So they get three or four points. Out of the weekend, they continue to hold down second place in the Pacific Division. And, Blake, the other thing I think we can say is that uh, they have avoided a bad start, which has plagued them the last two years. Just the one October game left tomorrow, Halloween, at home against the Nashville Predators. 5-2-1. and 5-2-1, 11 points. And, uh, I mean, that's just what the doctor ordered here. Even worst case scenario, they go five, three, and one. Big deal yeah. if they lose tomorrow on regulation. But just what the doctor ordered, and uh, a lot of things going the Canucks' way right now. We can, you know, talk about the um, the things that have gone well for the club this year. Obviously, the stars are performing like stars, and we saw that again this weekend. Quinn Hughes with a Mona Lisa on Friday night. I mean, two goals. They're getting goals from the defense. Susie and Tyler Myers score on Saturday. In fact, Myers, I thought was pretty good. On Saturday, the goaltending has been splendid. Now, there is this, and noted this early in the season, I see Jay Fresh Hockey is, has gone on it, gone at it again. As of yesterday, the Vancouver Canucks were the number one team in the NHL when it comes to goal differential above expected. What that means, they are finishing their scoring chances, particularly their great ace, and they are getting saves against good scoring chances. I'm not necessarily sure that's sustainable. It's a lot to lean on. As a formula, exactly. So at some point, there's going to need to be better offensive contribution from the bottom six, They have done a better job of late in terms of shots and chances against, but uh, alas, the penalty kill. And I I know Talkett says he sees better things happening there, and that's true, but the penalty kill continues to be an area where there's room for a lot of improvement. But there's there's, uh, sun on the horizon here with McKayev and Bluger, and I I, I think that McKayev in limited duty this weekend, we should note, because of the back-to-back games. They weren't. Uh, they didn't want to use them on all the special teams. Yeah, it was one shift, basically. Mm-hmm. So uh, 74% know. 24th in the league on the PK. Yeah, so I, I, I mean, I think it's realistic to think that they can be better. 
Um, and there are some extenuating circumstances with five on threes as well. Um, you know, you, you're up against it to pre- prevent a, a power play goal when it's five on three. So yeah, and talk it, and that's why he didn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's why he didn't criticize the penalty kill on Saturday night. He just said, look, five on three. You know. mm-hmm. uh, points in four straight. We did bring this up on Rinkwide on Saturday. Blake, you'll remember the Vancouver Canucks, the three-game winning streak, that was their Waterloo last year. Mm-hmm. Five different times in the season, they had, had a chance to extend a three-game winning streak into a four-game winning streak. All but one time they missed. So it was one five-game winning streak last year in the beginning of March. That was the season high. It was four other three-game winning streaks throughout the season. So they get another opportunity here to that elusive fourth victory in a row. Weren't able to make it happen. But points in four straight. They've been very good at even strength as well, more than doubling up the opposition mm-hmm. at even strength. And the other thing is they started to see their power place. And I know that was the talking point midweek last week. Hey, where are all the power plays for the Canucks? They're getting severely outpower played from the officials and frankly should have had one in overtime on that Chris Kreider trip of Elias Pettersson. They're also looking, dare to dream, a little bit faster these days. Um, I, I know Jeff and I talked on Friday's rink-wide about Mikheyev's back and that's great and he's getting points and that's great, but have we actually noticed the surgery helping his speed and we had thought at that point, no, and then lo and behold, the very next night, he uses his speed to get in on a break, and maybe we're starting to see some confidence from Ilya in his knee that maybe he's going to start a – I don't know that he's even tried to see if he's got a fifth gear. He did on Saturday, and do we start to see him attempt to shift into fifth a yeah. little bit more often? Um, but other guys are looking fast too. Hoaglander's looking pretty uh, pretty quick out there, and um, it's just such a huge departure. Lafferty, of course, with his speed – um, it's just nice to see some pace with some yeah, of these forwards. Well, I think Lafferty has made a big uh, difference yeah, there because yeah. he's a very a noticeable too. skater. Yeah. He's, a, he's a bigger boy, and boy, uh, does he get up and down the ice. I really like Mikheyev's game the first couple of games because I thought he did quite well in the offensive zone. Had shown uh, a good deal of chemistry with Pedersen and with Kuzmenko. So you're right. that That's the last bastion. If he can get back to being that fleet like one of the best skaters in the NHL. I mean, that was his reputation when he signed here. Yeah, for the, and we, I said this on the weekend too, like if you haven't really paid attention to Ilya Mikheyev before he became a Vancouver Canuck, he really was one of the top, I don't know, five to eight skaters in the league, straightaway mm-hmm. speed. And we have not seen that. It's not been that no. sort of Pavel Burry, you know, put you know put down your popcorn and you have to watch this sort of thing. But he's mm-hmm. got that kind of speed, so if he can, and I'm not uh, criticizing him for not showing it in this early uh, time after his surgery, mm-hmm. but if he can get there, my goodness, what an asset that is. More um, good developments for the Vancouver Canucks. I mean, Phil Ronick takes a bad puck over a glass penalty, but it's a two-point night for him Saturday. He's up to seven assists in eight games. Mark Friedman's looked okay, trying to hold down that second pair right side. As mentioned, I thought Myers was pretty good on Saturday. He's got four points, two goals in eight games, and Carson Soucy has two goals in six games. You're getting goals from the defense. DeSmith, once again, Decent in the goal. His goals against is 308, but a save percentage is 905. And as we've talked about, the high danger chances against the Canucks, particularly before this weekend, were a thing. And DeSmith was holding his own there. So some nice developments for the Canucks. Uh, the division around them continues to be quite poor. 
some teams that really need to get healthy there. So we'll see how they go against tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow against Nashville, this is a, a winnable hockey game. I'm not sure the Nashville Predators are a great team this season, but again, another team much like St. Louis on Friday, and we said this going into the Predators game last week in Music City, these conference games that take on a little bit of greater importance when you look down the road and figure, okay, we think the Canucks are going to be a, a postseason fight with a number of teams. And I think that's one of the reasons why you saw Demko on Friday against the Blues and DeSmith Saturday against an Eastern an Eastern Conference opponent. Yeah, but it's just it's just a, uh, a huge benefit to have goaltending. Um, every which way you look, uh, nine thirty save percentages for days, uh, and it's you know not a lot of not a lot of teams well, can boast that. And and Blake, you do wonder. And look, the Kings still have a pretty good farm system prospect pipeline here, and I think a lot of people anticipate they will try and rectify. But you look at the Canucks and Kings, and Vancouver now one point ahead of LA in the standings. In fact, if L.A. wins that game against Vegas on Saturday. They have the exact same records. The Canucks have given up 19 goals in eight games. The Kings have given up 30. It is the one thing that I think separates Vancouver and L.A. Mm-hmm. The Canucks have goaltending. L.A. doesn't. Yep. Yeah, I mean, they're, they, they like Edmonton, have a pretty decent team, but they are rolling with some suspect goaltending. And... Right, that's the other thing. You could say that about Edmonton right now. You can say that about Calgary right now. And frankly, you can say it about the Kraken right now as well. If you look at this first month of the season, what are some of the storylines? Well, you know, Vegas and Boston still not having lost in regulation would be sort of the bigger league-wide storylines as well as San Jose without a win. But if you're looking at the Pacific, the Canucks have gotten goaltending where the rest of the division outside of Vegas has not. So we'll see if that continues into the second month. Hot take for season. you. Hot take for you. I'll get some support from Grady on this one, I bet. Yeah, where's our goalie guy? Uh, what do you think of this hot take? Goaltender statistics should not include overtime. You could you could have a goaltending statistic for overtime, but it should be separated from the regular goaltending statistics. It is far too unique, far too uh, gunslinging. Yeah. Um, a, a, you, you, I mean, Grady, what says you? I will, de- I will defer to our goalie guy. It's two on ones and three on ones yeah. nonstop. Uh, your, your, your statistics get ruined if you give up one goal. Well, if you make saves, your save percentage can Right. Go so up. keep track of that, and we'll see how good you are with when you're just being inundated by opportunities. Mm-hmm. But it shouldn't be glommed now, in with There your... is a historical deviation here because overtime has always been in the goaltender. So that would change things. In but, terms I, of... but we have the technology to since three on three. Mm-hmm. To peel away the three-on-three era going All forward, right. Grady, what do you think? No, I I would have to agree with Blake. Um, sorry, you caught me off guard there. I was not listening to the discussion. Um, <laughs> not listening. Well, I'm only doing three other things at oh, once. Listen oh, listen to him. Okay. But uh, it's funny. Yahoo Fantasy Hockey, at least in the league I play in, they don't count uh, overtime, overtime records. So if you win or lose, it doesn't count. Records, so. I, I, I mean, records matter too, but it's more about the individual statistics. And if I'm a goalie, I, you know, I don't want that affecting my negotiation going forward. You know, like 
I faced three three on ones. I stopped yeah. two of them. I let in one goal. All of a sudden, my save percentage plummets. I'm I'm okay with it. I will disagree with both okay. of you. Now, I mean that's that's where you pull up like the advanced analytics. Be like, okay, what's your three on three save percentage? Yeah. Five v four, right? Like those are yeah. there for a reason. Mm-hmm. But not all shots are equal, as I always like to say. As we've talked about things going well for the Canucks and beyond the NHL team as well. How about this? Canucks prospects right now. Leading scorers in the American Hockey League. Two of them. Surtees are steep Baines among and, them. And Christian Willanen. The Ontario Hockey League. Hunter Brustevich. And the leader in the Swedish Hockey League in goals. Karamaki. I mean, yeah, it's systemically, it's looking pretty good. Mm-hmm. It's looking pretty good. And Brustevich is, is man up from heaven. You know, R.C. Baines is a really interesting study here, Matt. Um, imagine at the age of 22, if that's a second or third round pick doing what he's doing. You're excited. You, I mean, it is, it is headline news. Right. The fact that he's undrafted reduces people's um, belief in it, I think. Well, I, I, I think as evaluators, you have to look at it and say two things. Ask yourself two questions. Number one, is a big enough sample size? Is it okay. real? Is it real? Number two, at what point does he shed the baggage of being an undrafted? Yeah. Like, at what point do you just say, I can remember years and years ago where Wally Bono said to us in a moment of honesty, he said, you know, guys, for a while there, I had to convince myself that what I was seeing with Andrew Harris was real. You know, I was watching him and going, God, I mean, he just, he looks like everything you'd want in a starting tailback, but. Came from the Canadian Junior Canadian League. Canadian Junior League, yeah. you know, blah, 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 smaller. It, it, is is this legit? And yeah. sure enough, it was. Um, so I do think at some point the Canucks have to ask themselves that. If he's 26 Boy, or 27, be, I, I don't believe it. No, of course. And, and, of I, course. and, and I'm not 20, excited yeah, at all. Exactly. Exactly. So. It is going to be really interesting. I was thinking about this over the weekend. When they need a call-up, it's going to be really interesting to see at forward yeah. who they select because you've got some guys that are making cases. And here's the other thing that people will like, and, and hopefully the coaches like too about R.C. Baines, is they know that he puts in the work ethic too. Like what he showed in the preseason was more in a role-player mm-hmm. sort of mold where he worked his ass off. Well, that's what he had and, to learn last year, and that's what he yeah. did. Like, can you become a defensive forward as well? Because you're not going to score like you did at the in the WHL. Yeah. A couple other things I wanted to note about the Canucks. The stanchion, our friend White Arndt, stumping for a new goal song. This old era shit doesn't work with this new Quinn Hughes hotness. We both like Simple Minds. I think it's a good goal song. But has it run? Has it run its course? It's only like a year old, isn't it? Two mm-hmm. years, maybe. Um, it takes a lot of the boxes. Has to be kind of sing alongy. Um, yep. I, I, I don't. I, I'm. I, it, it hasn't struck me that it needs refreshing. It really hasn't. All right, you take it up with Wyatt. Bring your hard hat. Yeah. Also, uh, was very pleased to see Canucks Sports Entertainment honor the late Vern Frick on Saturday. Uh, as they posted, for 27 years, Vern served as the rinkside host, some would call Usher, in Section 122, cheering alongside Canucks fans at every game. In his memory, this section has now been dedicated to Vern, for it was here that his passion burned the brightest forever at Canuck. There's a plaque there. You may remember there was a 
commercial about Vern going into the uh, 2010 Olympics, Blake, and he was a fixture at Rogers Arena. Passed away this summer. Very well done by the Canucks in, in honoring a guy who, yes, was a fixture there, was quick with a, a smile, upbeat, positive, and cheered on his Vancouver Canucks. So well done to CS&E for that and the commemoration of Vern Frick. Huge weekend at BC Place. Playoff games plenty. We'll start with the BC Lions Saturday, 3.30 p.m., kickoff of the West Division semifinal against the Calgary Stampeders. The Lions, and you'll hear later from Coach Rick Campbell, very good health here, which is key. Having that bye in the final week of the CFL regular season has turned out to be helpful for them. We're giving away tickets. So text hashtag Lions to 778-402-9680. The Great Clips inbox. We got two pairs of tickets to give away, and they come with a food and bev voucher and a gift card at the team store. And, of course, looking to avenge that season-closing loss to the Calgary Stampeders. Calgary, I think, is a little more dangerous than their record would indicate. Blake, they've got a, uh, a few things going for them that we saw late in the season. That wasn't really the case early in the season when the Stampeders were racking up a a bunch of losses. Now, I know they lose that game to Winnipeg on Friday, but it was a nothing game for either side. In fact, I think the MO of the game for Dave Dickinson and the Stampeders was get out of it healthy. We'll see if BC can stop the running game, and Calgary has made headway there both against the Lions, and they had another fine rushing performance against Winnipeg on Friday. And, of course, the Lions haven't run the ball very well this season, so we'll see if that's something that separates them. Special teams, also something to watch in the Canadian Football League playoffs. Justin McInnes taking those extra reps over uh, Lucky right now in practice is very interesting. Um, So good. Well, Lucky has not had a great year. No. And, in fact... The more the season went on, uh, Lucky's impact got smaller and smaller. He he made a few big catches this year. Became more of a possession receiver too. They were using well, him in some small and some shorter passes. He's too. been hurt a lot, yeah. Lucky. Uh, that's been he's kind of been unlucky when mm-hmm. it comes to health. So I'm not surprised to see that. And McKinnis has been a beast when he's been put in. Well, and he's huge. Yeah, like he's six four six five. So he's just a big rangy target. Him and Katoya out there? For Vernon oh Adams, of course, yeah. And that's one of the topics we talk about with Coach Campbell is the contributions you have got from your Canadian player this year for the BC Lions has been extraordinary yeah. at every level. Yeah. In the passing game, in the special teams game with Sean White, in the defensive front seven, heck, even Adrian Green's thrown into a game to play corner late, and he did well, so... Uh, a ton of things went well for the Lions this year. They're CanCon among them. Whitecaps. And you and Spikey called the game, and I listened to the second half on my way uh, driving in here to to do rink-wide with Jeff. A 5-3 loss where you get destroyed on set pieces. Not a ton of chances from open play. A spectacular first half. 5-2 loss, by the way. 5-2 loss. 5-2 loss. Yeah. What did I say? 5-3. Uh, oh, okay. 5-2 loss. Mm-hmm. A great opening 45. 45. First half was fun. Incredible fun. Like it, yeah. it, it was, it, it, has, it was a commercial for MLS playoffs. It, it really was. And for, you know, 
people said they they lived up to expectation in that first half. People, I mean, I heard like the you know the MLS insiders like Tom Boger saying, "I can't wait to watch this series." And through forty five minutes, you are like, "That's why." Like yeah. it was it was crazy fun. And then LAFC just said enough, and they asserted their will in there in the second yeah. half. So tactically, remember this is a best of three. This is not an aggregate. Yeah. So tactically, are we going to say the score gets out of hand because the Caps had nothing to lose, so they pushed forward yes. when they were down a goal, particularly when they were down two goals? Yes. And that allowed LAFC to sort of run it up on them. They took Andres Kubis out of the match early. You know, like it, they, it was all everything in the kitchen sink going forward mm-hmm. to try and, and get some goals. What seemed to be the problem on set pieces? Correctable stuff? <sighs> you know, Vanny or just so. hats off to. I mean, it's it's a good executing team, so yes. Um, the set-piece defending has been a bit of a bugaboo. Now, Vanny will say that they got better as the season went on and that the, the stats really just reflect how poor it was at the outset of the season. Um, but it's reared its head at a bad time again. So uh, they've got the extra day of prep, so they get a lot of training this week. They don't play till Sunday, remember, at BC Play Stadium. So uh, extra day to sell tickets as well, which will be a lot of fun. It's going to be an incredible atmosphere. Already we know this with the, the ticket sales where they're at. Um, so y- you hope that they can that they can do something about the, the set piece defending. Open play, um, there was nothing separating the two teams. There really wasn't much separating between the two teams. And Sunday, 4.30 p.m., we are giving away a four-pack of tickets to see Vancouver Whitecaps FC in the second game of their best of three against LAFC, you want to text Whitecaps, hashtag Whitecaps, to 778-402-9680. That's hashtag Whitecaps, 778-402-9680 for your chance to win. We're going to announce the winner of the Lions tickets on Thursday. I believe we're going to announce the winner of the Whitecaps tickets on Friday. So looking forward to a massive weekend at BC Place with playoff games on consecutive days, Saturday and on Sunday. And, of course, then in December, we will have the Christine Sinclair farewell match at BC Place. Now, she came on as a substitution in Canada's match against Brazil over the weekend. Mm -hmm. And Bev Priestman, the head coach of the Canadian women's national team, has said, look, she's going to use Christine in all of these games. And for those who weren't following along... Christine had been coming on as a substitution yes. of late yes. for this side. I mean, 40 years old, she has put in her shift, and she has been used more sparingly in spot play tactically by Bev Friedman or Priestman. But I suspect, I mean, I suspect she's going to start one or both of these games here at in her home province. And the game at Starlight on the island is already sold out. So there are... You can only imagine there is going to be a lot of people who want to come and say, we saw her with our own two eyes for the final time, Christine Sinclair. I think she plays an hour both games would be my guess, 55 minutes. Because if you start her, you you, you take her to, to halftime, and then you allow the curtain sort of the, the, the wave goodbye she leaves the match. But, I you know, they, they are trying so to – So that's got to be the, the – so for the last match – they have to take her out before. Yeah, take her out at the 60-minute mark. So that's on uh, the game at BC Places Tuesday the 5th, Yeah, right? I mean, you can do something yeah. dramatic, too, if she subs in at at the 55-minute mark and you give her a 40-minute a run there. But 
I no, think the last I, match you let her you let her no, start. No, I think I think I, I think if the last both. match she's got to start and you got to take her off at some point in the second half. Yeah, let her to away. a Goodbye. raucous ovation. Yeah, yeah, and and the fact that you've got I mean we could have forty thousand fifty thousand fans oh, for that yeah. match if that's the case. They're coming to say goodbye to Christine. Give her a run. Oh, give, give her she's an gotta hour. Get the, yeah, give oh, her an she's got to get a, a lot of run. Yeah. Yeah, so that's Tuesday, December 5th at BC Place. Uh, as mentioned, the game on the 1st in Langford at Starlight is already sold out as everybody I think I don't know if she starts that one, honestly, I, because these are big games, too. They're good, it's good, it's good uh, quality opposition. I, th- I think Bev Priestman wants to um, try some things. So I, maybe they give her the final forty minutes, something like that, at, at Starlight, and then the start on. Uh, and 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 also, well, the way Bev was speaking about it after the match, it was like she just wanted to sort of explain to the broader public here why it was that Christine came on as a substitution. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, you're right. There, there are still and it's two games in five days too. So you right. don't want a starter for. I don't know that Christine can play back to back hours. I. I I could be wrong, but I would I would think giving her forty minutes mm-hmm. on the back end or thirty five minutes on the back end of the Starlight game and then starting her BC Play Stadium, mm-hmm. I think that might be the uh, the way to go. Just an update from Canucks practice. Well, as we've talked about, this bottom six hasn't given us hasn't uh, given us a lot of highlights this year. Just mm-hmm. not a lot of goals coming from this group. And I see that Anthony Beauvillier, who was better on Saturday, has moved back up to the third line with Pew Suter and Connor Garland. And it looks like it's a Stadnika or Dakota Joshua contemplation for tomorrow night against Nashville with Lafferty in the middle and Hoaglander on the left wing. So has Dakota Joshua played his way into a healthy scratch? Hmm. I mean, he goes back at Jacob Truba early in that hockey game on Saturday. Truba had roughed up Elias Pettersson early in the game, and it looked like Dakota Joshua wanted to make sure that Jacob Truba knew that they weren't going to take any of that but he drew but i mean it cost him a penalty and he didn't do a whole lot thereafter and really hasn't done a whole lot since opening night we'll see what coach talkett has planned for tomorrow national football league and we talked about friday blake massive opportunity for the seattle seahawks at home in the throwback 1990s jerseys so good and that royal that game yesterday if there is a better uniform game in the National Football League this season, please somebody point it out to me because that was gorgeous yesterday. Yeah. The Seahawks and the Royal Blues and the Cleveland Browns in that classic color scheme as well with the white jerseys, the dark pants, and the orange helmets. It was great. 24-20, the Hawks with a thrilling comeback victory. Geno Smith to Jackson Smith and Jigba late for the touchdown. After Jamal Adams, and you and I both said the same thing, he looked like a soccer striker trying to use his head off a corner. He blitzes, uses his head to bat the football. P.J. Walker's pass up into the air. The Seahawks intercept. That leads to the game-winning drive. And we thought San Francisco may have some trouble with Cincinnati. Joe Burrow looks a lot healthier these days. There was reason to wonder how healthy Brock Purdy was coming off the concussion protocol. So 31-17, the Bengals beat the 49ers. Suddenly, San Francisco has lost three in a row, and your Seattle Seahawks first place in the NFC West. And yeah. they just made a trade. Ah, 
acquired Leonard Williams from the Giants defensive line. Wow. For a 2024 second and a 2025 fifth. That is a big deal in advance of the NFL trade deadline. And, and he, Williams can really play, of course, drafted by the Jets. I want to yeah. say he was the top five pick. Played with Jamal Adams there, yeah. Wow. And he's a terrific run stopper. And, in fact, he's a guy who can get up field and pressure a quarterback a little. And the run defense has absolutely been something that's been in need of, uh, in need of fixing for the Seahawks. So not at all surprised to see them address that area of the ball club. Pro Bowler, I mean, leader, oh, yeah. a leader on that team. That's that's interesting. Kind of reminds me uh, when they made the deal for Sheldon Richardson several years ago. Another guy in New York who was a very good interior defensive lineman. Seahawks five and two, heading to six and two Baltimore this weekend. Yeah, that's a tough. That's a tough one. Yeah, as mentioned, NFL trade deadline tomorrow. Expecting some activity uh, already. Lombardi Lenny. Leonard Fournette has signed with the Buffalo Bills. He was out, but there's a number of players on the block, and I suspect we'll see more trades by tomorrow. And then the quarterback injuries continue around the league. Rams lose Matthew Stafford. Boy, Giants down a second quarterback. Tyrod Taylor exits that game. Pickett leaves for Pittsburgh. Ritter leaves for Atlanta. So the uh, attrition in the National Football League gets a thing. But good news here, Blake. Week 9 coming up. We'll get into it later in the week. We've both sort of said, ah, the NFL this year hasn't been a lot of great games, haven't been a lot of great matchups. Week 9 brings it on several fronts. We'll get into that. Let's get to today's menu. It is brought to you by Greta Bar. And if you haven't been to Greta down on Cordova, great spot to catch the games throughout the season, the playoffs, place to chill in the offseason. Greta's Canucks Army spot to catch the game. So go and hang out with her friends from Canucks Army. We'll get to J-Pat here, do some hashtags, the best and worst of Twitter. As mentioned, Rick Campbell, head coach, BC Lions, going to join. And to the people we go. Now bookended Mondays and Fridays here with Sakarison Price. No matter what you're buying, folks, when you're out in the world looking for this, that, and the other, I think you want to support businesses that you feel good about supporting. You can feel good about supporting the Applewood Auto Group. Uh, they've made the car business and communities around them a whole lot better with their work in the community. Go and find out why it is indeed all good at Applewood. Visit them online anytime at applewood.ca. Harrison Price from All Center presentation, Applewood Auto Group. Hashtags the best and worst at Twitter.com brought to you by Jason Hominick, Jason.mortgage. If you have a great rate on your mortgage but still need equity out of your house, Jason has a solution. You keep your great rate, you access that equity without touching your existing mortgage. If your mortgage is up in the next six months, now is the time to reach out. Find him, Jason.mortgage. Uh, I'll get things started. Mm hmm. At Rugby World Cup. Ah. I watched the match on delay. I didn't know who had won, but it still seemed dramatic at the end. I wish I understood all the rules. I wish there was a few more tries scored. Yeah. But. I'll, I'll say this. I commend them for the transparency of that red card. Well, the transparency. It's always like that. No, I know. The mics I are mean, always the, on. You the, always know what's happened. No, that is. Um, Something that that sport has been a leader on, and I wish others would adopt. At Rugby World Cup, three knockout matches, three one-point wins. Quarterfinal, 
South Africa 29, France 28. Semi-final, South Africa 16, England 15. And in the final, South Africa 12, New Zealand 11. I mean, I, I don't... I, I In that sport, to just happen to have one-point wins through the three most critical matches of the World Cup, it's, uh, it's astonishing. Uh, they are now the top-ranked nation in the world in rugby. What's uh, also astonishing, as I saw the world rankings, Australia is ninth mm-hmm. in the world. They oh, just sacked boy. their manager, too. Oh, so. no. Well, first of all, shout-out Ambassador Paul down in New Zealand. I was communicating with him through the World Cup, and he goes, i, I got to say it's very odd being the underdog mm-hmm. <laughs> with the All Blacks. Two in a row for South Africa. Of course, this was also a rematch of the iconic 95 Invictus final, if you're familiar with that game, or the documentary, which is even better, the 16th man. And uh, how about the crowd, too, huh? I mean, that was a 80,000 full-throated crowd. I mean, well done to France, the host nation there. Because uh, even through the early games that were not particularly competitive, it seemed like there were de- there was decent turnout. It's quite decent. a tournament. Like it's not you know wow. seven week tournament. Well, that's it. Crazy. I mean, but how else do you do it? Right? No. Like it's hard to ask those guys. I mean, you take a look at how beat up and drained those guys look. Well, what do we say about football at the line of scrimmage? Like car crashes. Like this, yeah, it's like these well, guys are doing it without is, pads. Which is why Thursday night football uh, sucks. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> answer me this: I see less and less headgear. They used to wear more headgear. Maybe it was just these two teams. Yeah, I don't know. The, the headgear doesn't do much for concussions. It does a lot more for right. cauliflower ears and and cuts and scraping that sort of thing. But it, it doesn't do much for the concussions. Well, it's just a tiny little bit of pillow there. Um, cauliflower ears alone. Yeah, yeah. No, I I, 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 I would told have this it on. story before. I, <laughs> I I played football throughout high school. We played rugby one day in gym. The Gym teacher was coaching with the rugby team. He said, Matt, why don't you, you're a big guy, why don't you come out for rugby? And I was like, okay, what does it entail? And then they told me I would be in the middle of the scrum and I would ha- should probably tape my ears back. And mm. I'm like, excuse me? Well, you wouldn't want your ear to be like swollen, yes, ripped off. And I was like, okay, I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> At John Boy Media, this is the only day in 2023 that we'll have NFL, NBA, Major League Baseball and NHL all on the same day. The only day, really, huh? Mm -hmm. The sports equinox, if you will. Yes. The comments are littered with, you forgot about MLS. MLS is bigger than the NHL in the United States now. Wow. Can that case be made? Uh, there's metrics, yes. I've seen, I mean, not related to this particular day, but I've seen other comparisons made from a business sense, from a star sense, from a global sense that, that yeah, I think people can make that argument. Orlando, Nashville, Seattle, Dallas, and MLS play. Yeah. Today on top of the Monday Nighter, of course, Game 3 of the World Series and a uh, full set of NHL, not full, but yeah. good set of NHL Yeah, it's like nine games, I think, tonight. At Pierre V. LeBrun, Jumbo Joe Thornton officially announces his retirement like only he could. No shirt and all. First ballot Hockey Hall of Famer to be sure what a career and what a character. Daily Faceoff went on to say, Joe Thornton retires as one of the most low-key dominant players of all time and has a strong case as the greatest player to never win a Stanley Cup. Huh. 
Never thought of it that way. Yeah. I mean, he's he's on the short list. He's on the short list. Marcel Dion, yeah. right? Like, I mean, he, didn't he, pa- he passed Dion, didn't he, in points? I'm pretty sure he did. Um, and, and odd, because one of the things that we have long said and uh, observed is that the great players in this sport break through. Eventually they'll get theirs. Pretty much all. Uh, I mean, it's a very short list of like truly great, like first ballot Hall of Famer level players. He didn't pass Dion for your points. No, 15, he did not. 1539 for Joe, 1771 for Marcel Dion. Mm-hmm. At Arash Madani, Felix Auger Alassim defends his title in Basel. Best tournament in all sport. It's been a tough season for the Canadians, so defending the points is critical. Trophy lift gives momentum and confidence. Now a month away from the Davis Cup. It was great to see uh, Felix break through and win here in 2023 because God knows, I mean, Arash says it's a tough season for Felix. It's been a very tough season for Canadian tennis overall. Totally. But Layla's got a win here in the late stages, and Felix has a win in the late stages. Salvaging us. Canada is the defending reigning champion in Davis Cup tennis. Uh, and finally, for me, at Hacks with Hags, and I like to see this because enough of coaches being bland. Jim Montgomery on facing the Florida Panthers for the first time tonight. Quote, it's not one of 82. No, they ended our season. They went all the way to the finals. Our summers were miserable until the finals were over, and it's because they beat us. So, yeah, this means more. End quote. Attaboy, Game eight. Coach. Game eight. boy, coach. <laughs> you know, enough telling us, no, no, no. That's, we've turned the page. Our minds are uh, focused on this season. Like the, the hockey speak wasn't there from Jim Montgomery, and I love it. Mm-hmm. Lastly, for me, and of course, the NFL is a little different than your average bear when it comes to distribution and national teams. As we know, the smallest market, Green Bay, has one of the biggest, most national fan bases. But think about the other sports and how much they push New York versus New York. Rangers-Islanders games routinely on mm-hmm. national television, right? Yeah. Mets-Yankees, uh, Mets, always a national game when you get to interleague play. Even the same with uh, the Nets and Knicks, even though one franchise has not been very good for the better part of a quarter century. At the score, an absolutely iconic punter battle in the Jets shocking win today. Did you see this? Yeah. 24? 24 combined punts from the Jets and Giants in a low-scoring overtime game that, you know, had a moment at the end with Zach Wilson completing a pass and they run up to the line of scrimmage and they spike (laughs) it with one second left and they force overtime and then they win it in overtime. Horrible game, though. 13-10. 13 punts for the Giants. Jamie Gillian. 549 yards. Thomas Morrison with 11 punts for 529 yards, so he wins the average battle between the two of them. Unbelievable. Blake, I was struck that not a single CTV affiliate across the country picked up Jets and Giants as their early window game yesterday. Yeah, yeah. And then there was this. The Giants, the first team to have negative passing yards in a game since. Well, the Giants... On January 2nd of 2022, no other team has done this since the 2009 Titans. Today's minus nine passing yards for the Giants, the worst in the NFL 
since the Browns in 2000. Even Army varsity football is shocked and dismayed. That's right. At finishing the game with exactly. negative hey, passing yards. Air Force is 8-0. I checked their box score on Saturday. Threw the ball seven times. Completed four of them. That's good. <laughs> that was Air Force. That was Air Force. Who don't exactly put the air in Air Force. But, you know, this. I was going to bring this up at some point today. Has the quarterback problem reached the NFL now? Like, we've talked about it in the CFL. Mm-hmm. Is there enough star CFL quarterbacks? Mm-hmm. And re- maybe the reason there's not enough star CFL quarterbacks is there's not a surplus of quarterbacks in the world right now, especially when we get to injuries and now all these injuries are rearing so, their head. Some of that, if you talk to people who study the position, I can remember having this conversation with Jesse Palmer years ago. When quarterbacks get to college campuses now, Blake, they are not coached on the finer points of playing quarterback. They're coached on the finer points of the offensive system Getting wins. and everything that it's going to take to beat that's, that week's opponent yeah. and running your system to the optimum level. Yeah. Like Jesse used to uh, told me, like playing for Steve Spurrier at Florida, like if you didn't hold the ball high up by the ear hole in the you know fundamentally sound position, you didn't get on the field. And then a few years later at the same school, Tim Tebow was holding the ball down by his hip. Yeah, on a regular basis, and that's where he was starting his throwing motion. So the the actual position does not get tutored to the point in college where these guys are more ready made in the NFL. That said, Will Levis four touchdowns, two hundred thirty eight yards for a second round pick in Tennessee. That was a fantastic debut. The other thing, like look, Watson, uh, Deshaun Watson, Justin Fields, Daniel Jones, Anthony Richardson, Ryan Tannehill already out. And then yesterday we saw Matthew Stafford, Tyrod Taylor, Desmond Ritter, Cody Pickett. Yeah. Or sorry, Kenny Pickett. Not finish the games. So, you know, it, it's... The injury and attrition at the position as well. But I agree. I, you know, I think in all of sports this is true. Coaches um, in, in youth sport coach to win. Yep. And it really hurts the professional yep. game later on down the road. Yep. And, and the college football coaches have basically said, we're not a development league here. Like, no. I'm trying to win my conference. I'm trying to get to the biggest bowl game I can or the college football playoff. And guess what? There are like eight to $12 million contracts available to me. Yes. If I can get to that level. Right. So to hell with you, NFL. I'm not going to teach my quarterback how to go through progressions or, you know, the fundamentals of his footwork because I only have so many hours in the practice week and we're trying to beat Georgia. We're trying to beat Alabama this week. Yeah. So that's that. And that's hashtags for today. Happy Hour brought to you by Yellow Dog Brewing Neighborhood Brewing Workshop Spirits. And the weather's getting a little cooler, but we're still pretending we're thriving in the summer. That's summer heat with Workshop Spirits. Ombre margarita. Hi there, hard lemon iced tea. And hi there, our peach iced tea. will keep you feeling tropical all year long. End of the workday. Treat yourself to a Yellow Dog Neighborhood or Workshop Spirit.
Harrison Price from Wall Center presentation, Applewood Auto Group. And uh, they have got some fabulous offers specifically at Applewood Nissan. You can finance the 2023 Rogue from 3.99% lease or finance the 2023 or 24 Nissan Leaf from 6.99% join the electric revolution. It's all at Applewood Nissan in Richmond, in Langley, and in Surrey. It's all good at Applewood. Bulldog poll question today asking you, do you want to see the Canucks in another stadium series game? Yes or no? You can vote at Sikerson Price on Twitter. Bulldog, your source, free casino games, poker strategy, and sports odds. Bulldog, line of the day for me. Best of five now at the World Series heading into tonight. Arizona with three at home. I'm starting to feel like destiny is a diamondback. Plus 115 to win it from here on your Bodog line of the day. Here he is, rank white Chef Patterson, our Canucks reporter after a busy weekend at Rogers Arena. Jeff, how are you? Uh, I'm doing well, guys. So, yeah, busy weekend, but a pretty good weekend for the Canucks coming off the road trip, taking three of four, and the beat goes on. And so uh, all that buildup about first game back off the road trip, and they were uh, full value for the Friday night win over the Blues. And we wondered, you know, what would they have left in the tank against a uh, – that is a really good Ranger team. They were impressive watching them, just the way that they go about their business, obviously aided by – few power play goals and a call or a non-call in overtime. But I, I think all things considered, if you're the Vancouver Canucks, you know, you just keep on trucking and pick up three or four points and move on to Tuesday against Nashville. How, um, first of all, can we put all concerns about bad start behind us now at this stage, Jeff, one more game in October, nine games into the season. Do we feel like this team is at least avoided the pitfalls of the last couple of years? I think so. I, I mean, I, I like nice round numbers. So 10 games and 20 games certainly will be signposts that I think we look back on. But I mean, they've put enough uh, money in the bank, if you will, to get to the 10 game mark about 500. And, and then let's see. I, I mean, I think the schedule lets off a little bit uh, in the month of November. They see San Jose three times now. Got to be careful that you don't uh, suffer the old banana peel game. Uh, starts on Thursday down there at the tank, but uh, the Sharks can't beat anybody. They can't score any goals. So uh, those seem like three pretty good opportunities for the Vancouver Canucks. But yeah, I, I think all things considered, like if you had told me, Matt, that the Vancouver Canucks would be 5-2-1, and one, if I didn't know the record and you just said, all right, here's the way the season unfolds. They give up three power play goals in one game. They give up two power play goals in two others. And at the eight game mark, their penalty kill is 74%. And I would say... No, not again. Here we go. Come on. I don't have the appetite for this. And yet one of the games in which they gave up the two was in Edmonton and they won that one. And the other night against the Rangers, uh, yeah, they lose, but they get a single point out of that. And really, the, the reason they are where they are is their five on five play. They've outscored their opponents 20 to nine at five on five here through the first eight games. So a two to one margin, if they can keep it at even strength, this is becoming a pretty strong hockey club. At least they're showing signs. I know the first couple of games they got outplayed, no shot, but I, I do feel like they've turned that back in the right direction now, the way that they dominated the Blues uh, throughout the game, particularly in the first period on Friday night. So at even strength, if they can stay out of the penalty box, uh, I think the Canucks are showing that they've got uh, sort of a backbone to what Rick Tockett is trying to put in place for this hockey club. Obviously, you want to limit the penalties that you take. And, you know, there have been some strange ones. Philip Ronick putting the puck over the glass the other night. Uh, he's not going to do that very often. Uh, the too many men when you're already a man short, that's a bit of a brain cramp there. And if you take it further, go back to the game in Tampa where Tyler Myers made those two egregious mistakes on the penalty kill. That's not going to happen every night. Oh, sure. There's going to be some mistakes <laughs> oh, along the or way. Is it? Yeah. Oh, I don't think there's going to be two on the power play that wind up in the back of the net is, is sort of the point that I'm getting at. But yeah. you're right with Tyler Myers. You're never quite sure. So uh, as far as starts go, 
yeah, I mean, to me, it feels like a complete reversal of fortune for the Vancouver Canucks. And I do think that there's enough equity built up here now that they can afford. They are going to lose some games along the way. But I don't think anybody has to panic. Nobody has to think that the bottom is going to fall out if, in fact, they drop a game here uh, on Tuesday or if they lose to San Jose. But I just think right now they're feeling pretty good about their game. I think there's some confidence to the way they're playing. Certainly their top-end guys are going, and their goaltending has been really good. So really the only knock, I think, right now is uh, putting out the APB for that bottom six, and you'd like to think at some points along the way here, uh, that some of those depth scores will show up and make a contribution. Often bubble teams are not good at five on five. Often they write hot goaltending and a good power play. And the truth of the matter is uh, they're good at five on five, as you outlined. The power play is going to be decent, I think, at the very least. It'll be middle packet at the very least. And, you know, the penalty kill still has a, a, a an Ilya Mikheyev reintegration program, and Teddy Bluger hasn't even reared his head yet. So um, there's room for improvement there. There's, there's an explanation, at least, for their... Yeah, slightly below average numbers to this point. Yeah, and my column at Canucks Army on Sunday was defending a penalty kill that's at 74%. And look, when I look back now, there was no way they were getting through these first eight games unscathed. They played the Oilers twice, the Rangers, Tampa, and Florida all had top 10 power plays in the National Hockey League last season. Look who has scored the power play goals against the Canucks. Like This is almost comical. McDavid, Dreisaitl, The Nuge, Nikita Kucherov, Panarin, Zabanajad, and Adam Fox. I think you throw Nick Paul in there. There's no shame. There's no shame. Those guys are special teams (laughs) assassins. They are going to light up whoever they play all season long. And so it does sort of stand to reason that, you know, there were going to be some flesh wounds in the early going. But again, they've come through this stretch with a 5-2-1 record. I think the penalty kill will get better. I think the penalty kill in stretches and in moments already, a couple of shorthanded goals over the weekend. Uh, There are reasons to believe, and as you point out, uh, the integration of Mikheyev, who's had, I think it's 50, five zero seconds of shorthanded time, and Teddy Bluger hasn't played yet. Uh, you know, there are reasons to believe that penalty kill. Again, I don't know that it's going to be among the league leaders, but I think that even league average represents a massive improvement over where it's sure. been the last couple of years. How much credit does Rick Tockett and the coaching staff get for this start, Jeff? Yeah, I think you have to give them a fair bit that uh, the players speak glowingly about uh, the relationship between the coach and and the leadership group. Uh, I think he's empowered a lot of his players. Uh, every single guy talks about how uh, clear Rick Tockett is with them and that, you know, he's not afraid to call them out if he feels he has to call them out, but he's not doing it maliciously. You know, he's doing it to try to drive home points that are going to make this hockey club better. And it feels like uh, players are buying in and not that, Travis Green a couple of years ago. I mean, Travis had a long, successful NHL career. And Bruce Boudreaux obviously uh, has a track record of success as a head coach and played in a different time and era, obviously. But I just think Rick Tockett's resume as a player and now as a coach just gains him this. There's a trust factor, a respect factor. Uh, You know, Adam Foote and Sergei Gonchar. Like, I think these guys, like the, the players in that room all look at the coaching staff and they seem to be on the same page. And I know that that was the reason they made the coaching change when they did last year and organizational symmetry and, and synchronicity. Uh, it does feel like they've achieved it. And I, I guess I, I was one of those ones that said, okay, like it all sounds great, but I'm not really sure if, you know, alignment top to bottom, like uh, ultimately it's what happens on the ice, but I guess what happens on the ice is predicated by organizational alignment. And you see what they're doing out in Abbotsford as well. 
And it just, it does sort of feel like everybody top to bottom is in lockstep right now. And so, yeah, I think the coaching staff, uh, they've been pushing the right buttons. I like the goaltending decisions that they've made and the way they've handled their goaltenders. And I think that will pay off even more down the stretch with a uh, rested Thatcher Demko. Cause I was the guy, I, like, I really believe that Demko, Demko was going to be busy off the hop here. And that hasn't been the case with Casey Smith getting three of the, the first eight starts. Is there a Rod Brindamore effect here? Can we say that Rick talking to strike that balance of, you know, uh, having strength and not letting guys get away with things, but also being a, a player's coach all in the same breath. I think, yeah, I mean, I think you have to look at it to that degree. Like, And let's just use JT Miller as an example. And I remember at the outset of the season, I think the eve of the season, and you guys asked me for a hot take. And I, you know, I was off the top of my head, I was like, I don't know, how about a quiet JT Miller season? And again, it's eight games. There's a lot of ground to travel. Trust me, I know that. But JT Miller uh, has scored at even strength on the power play, scored a shorthanded goal the other night. He's won off the team lead in scoring. He's tied for eighth as we sit here on this Monday morning. Uh, in overall league scoring, there hasn't been any sort of the you know demonstrative outbursts because uh, most things have gone right for the Vancouver Canucks to this point. But even when things you know on the power play or the missed call the other night didn't see what we've seen from JT the last couple of years, and I I, I do think that there is this, and maybe there's an element of fear too. Like you don't want to get on the wrong side of Rick Tockett, but I just think. Rick Tockett seems to have got to JT Miller. You look at his performance really since the coaching change last year, and that's what the Vancouver Canucks want out of JT Miller. You know, are they going to get it for the duration of his contract? Uh, nobody's got a crystal ball. But in the short term, in the first year of his deal, uh, he's been exceptional, and that line has been terrific for the Canucks, and particularly even strength. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think these guys want to play hard for Rick Tockett. I think they believe in Tockett and the way that uh, he's going to preaching his systems and his style um, and the proof's in the pudding that uh, they're a whole lot better right now than they were certainly at this time one year ago. Officiating Jeff had overshadowed, mm. of course, the rink wide we did on Saturday. Uh, I caught your uh, tweet and uh, later caught the game, the World Rugby uh, World Cup of Rugby final, mm. where the fans were brought into the entirety of the decision of giving that New Zealand player a red card. Does the NHL need to be more transparent with its officiating, Jeff? Should we be hearing from these officials when there's a controversial call or a non-call that uh, you could argue decided a game? Yeah, I, I think so. In the information age, uh, you know, it's not going to be a big press conference or a scrum with the officials, but I do think that there are ways to communicate to get questions that uh, should be answered. Uh, I think the the players and the coaching staff deserve it. I think the fans that are paying good money and supporting their team, they'd like to know sort of the thought process of what went on. I think some of the anger was tempered a little bit by the fact that the Canucks got a single point out of the game. There's no, like if the call is made in that moment, the Canucks should have got a power play. Not there's nothing that says they score there. Like the Rangers still could have won that game, so the outcome could have remained the same. And the Canucks didn't leave empty-handed, and so I think that played into it. And I, look, the Canucks, the ones that were asked afterwards, you know, Tockett, uh, I think, took the high road and some of the players as well. Uh, I mean, there was frustration, obviously. But, yeah, I, I just think when you see other sports, you see ways that it can be done. And for whatever reason, the NHL just loves to bury its head in the sand and just keep it there and stay in the dark ages on, on something like this. This is the technology age. Uh, I think it would be so easy to get a, a comment or a statement from any of the guys or the entire 
officiating crew on a given night. So yeah, I, I think without a doubt, uh, and and I think it would help inform the fans and the media on some of the decision, like you know why were decisions made? Maybe we missed an element or two that went into it. It's a fast game. It's not easy to officiate. I get that. It is a difficult job, but. Uh, everybody's jobs changes. Like you know, over, you know, we know about that, guys. The jobs change over time. Uh, you know, I, I think the same can be said for the guys that wear the stripes. And so, yes, I, I would love to hear an explanation uh, on occasion on a call that certainly impacted. And the other part too, there is, you know, could the NHL go to a, you know, NHL or the NFL reviews everything in the what final two minutes of, uh, of a football game? you know, in overtime on plays that lead to goals? Like, is there a way to, you know, just have a quick look and make sure that no stone is left unturned? Again, the technology is there. I think there are ways that it could happen, but ultimately the league would want to have to have it happen. And uh, clearly it doesn't seem like there's uh, much of a push to to make that uh, occur at this stage. There's there's still uh, officiating issues elsewhere in sport. Do we focus too much on it in the NHL because we see we see gaffes in the other pro sports? I mean, the the umpiring some some days. I mean, it, it has you pleading for robots in in baseball. Um, you know, the, the NFL screws things up all the time. Are, are we too hyper focused on the NHL when everybody else gets it wrong too? Well, I suppose when uh, you know your team uh, is on the wrong end of a call, certainly you know if it goes the other way, people are loving the fact that. Uh, the officials let it play, uh, but it didn't. It went against the Canucks, or the fact that no call was made certainly hurt the Canucks in the end there. Uh, I think ultimately, you know, was that uh, like black and white call? No, there was some gray area, but there was contact. And Elias Pettersson, one of the stars in the league, and we always talk about should stars get the benefit of the doubt? Not that Chris Kreider has some star power to him. I mean, that Ranger team is loaded with star power. Uh, and so I just, I wonder if there isn't a better way for the National Hockey League to handle, uh, that, but I know that the referees, they don't want Big Brother, you know, coming in over the top and taking the ability to make calls. It was a judgment call. It was, um, so, you know, yes, we're focused on it in Vancouver here this weekend because, uh, the Canucks felt like a perceived slight against them. Uh, you know, they'll get their, I, I do want to believe over the course of a long season that it generally uh, finds its way to even out. The Canucks will get some calls along the way, and they haven't got a lot of them in the early going so far this season. But, you know, they had six power plays the other night as well. Like, maybe it's a different story if they cash in on a couple of their power plays. Uh, you know, one of the storylines coming out of the game was that the Rangers scored three power play goals, two of them on five on threes. But Veronica over the glass, that's a black and white call. And the too many men... Uh, Again, yeah. like, it's on the border, but I, I, it is too many men. And, he yeah, stayed no, up like, yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and no, so yeah. if you're putting it in the hands of the officials there, if Pedersen just goes to the bench and Joshua jumps over the boards, there's no issue there. And so the Canucks, there was an element of wrong in the way that they uh, handled that situation. So, you know, that's tough. And obviously giving up two five on threes. Yeah. In a one goal game, yeah. uh, that was certainly one of the differences in that hockey game. Well, uh, Wally Wano rule applies here, right? Don't put yourself in a position where one call, um, as we talked about Saturday, Jeff had zero problem with the six penalties called against the Vancouver Canucks Saturday. They were all legitimate penalties and deserved to be called at National Hockey League. This sport, much like the NFL, if you watch on Sundays, there is a lot of gray area. And so where the standard is established mm-hmm. becomes a night to night discussion and of course you know in the national hockey league we have the further context of episodes like stefan Auger and retribution episodes with you know mic'd up referees saying oh i wanted to get you guys for an early penalty uh, uh tonight 
So there's, and of course, the transparency or lack thereof doesn't doesn't help matters at all uh, in the NHL and with hockey. Pew Suter, Jeff, he is the one lonely Vancouver Canuck forward without a point eight games into the season. When do you think he gets that point? And what have you thought of his first eight games as a Vancouver Canuck beyond just the the empty stat line? Yeah, you know, I had high hopes for P.S. Suter, and he can achieve them still. It's so early in the season, but I thought he looked pretty good in the preseason. I, I liked a lot of what I saw. Uh, you know, the penalty kill showed some flashes. I think that was an area that he was going to help, and certainly without Teddy Bluger in these first eight games, uh, I thought that he was going to be used a little more on the penalty kill, but it hasn't happened. It's just been ridiculously quiet around him, and if he was a fourth-line guy and this team was 5-2-1, and one, I probably wouldn't have an issue, but he was brought in, and we all rave best third-line center that this group's had in, in quite some time. That hasn't materialized just yet. He's not hurting this team. This team is winning more than it's losing, and so he gets, you know, he, he gets some time here to figure out his game. But it's eight games in. Like soon it'll be ten, and then before you know it, you know the quarter pull. Like there has to be more to his game. And I wasn't expecting a ton of flash. I don't think that's who he is. I think he goes about his business proficiently. He's quiet. He's technically sound. Puts himself in in good spots. And you know, it, it, in years gone by when guys haven't been producing back to our five on five discussion, too many guys would get buried and you can't have that. And so he's holding his own at the very least. And the star power above him is getting the job done. And so it's leading to team success at this point. And so, you know, that's why to me, it's not a massive issue, but there's certainly a red flag being waved there. And as I came out of the game against the Rangers the other night, I couldn't help, but you know, Tyler Myers and Carson Soucy score guys, the Canucks have seven goals from defensemen. They have six goals from guys that I would consider bottom six. Yeah. The defensemen are outscoring the bottom six on this hockey club. That's not going to last. There will be nights where Patterson and Miller and Quinn Hughes are held in check, and that's where you need some of those other guys to rise up. Now, it happened in game two in Edmonton when they got goals from Hoaglander and Lafferty and, and Stanika. You can't count on that every night, certainly getting three in a, a game like that. But yeah, I mean, there, there does have to be some expectations here sooner rather than later. And it goes beyond Pia Suter. Uh, Bovillier got an assist the other night, but, you know, he can't be hanging his hat on one helper here through eight games after a really quiet preseason. Connor Garland opened the scoring in that 8-1 romp uh, over the, the Oilers on opening night. You know, the effort's been there from Garland, and we talked about it on Rinkwad. He was a net front presence on the Carson Soucy goal, and that kind of goes undetected mm-hmm. on the score sheet at the least. But but still, there have to be, and Dakota Joshua is another one, guys. Like There has yeah. to be more of a stamp uh, on these games than just looking for an assist here or a play there. So they're winning. Although, are, are we asking too much of this this bottom six right now? No. And, and are we asking too much to have all facets going? I mean, they'd be the best team in the league if they've got bottom yep. six contributions well, and may, defense contributions. Maybe, maybe that, Blake. Yeah. But no, we're not asking too much to ask Dakota Joshua to have a single point in seven games. We're not asking too much of Connor Garland to have more than one point in seven games. And we're not asking... Uh, too much of Pia Suter to get on the score sheet more than once every eight games. At least that's my take, Jeff. No, and and uh, Blake's right, though. I mean, rarely do you get like the engine just revving with everybody going. I think I I watched the Heritage Classic and heard that the is it the Flames that don't have a single point from their bottom six at this point. Now there's lots of issues there. Maybe I shouldn't be holding up Calgary as an example, but uh, the New York Rangers, like Blake Wheeler, doesn't have a point. Nick Bonino 
the underlying numbers the other night were just brutal. Like the Rangers, again, they're kind of constructed like the Canucks. They've got star power for days that will carry them and has to this point, and they've won four in a row after the win against the Canucks. So, you know, the Canucks aren't the only team where there is this separation. And we've said this before, guys, like the middle class has been eliminated from the National Hockey League. And, and so you're paying your big guns to produce. The other guys, they get what's sort of left there when it comes to contracts. And and so maybe you do have to temper expectations a little bit. But the teams that get far and the teams that ultimately we consider the good teams, you know, they they do strike a balance and their star star players produce, but also they get some help lower in the lineup. And that hasn't arrived yet for the Vancouver Canucks. But again, I, I think you you have to look at it and say, hey, they've won five of the first eight. They got a single point the other night. Like things are going well, and you just want to believe that it buys that bottom six a little bit more time here that it will find its game and hopefully find its level. It's almost guys like like you look at the bottom six and you think you just want them to do something. I would like mm, that. Right. I would absolutely yeah. a huge proponent. Yeah. Jeff the, more yes. <laughs> Jeff more than most. Yeah. He likes I wanted us all to say something at the same time. It didn't work. Oh, out I'm like sorry, that, we no. missed the cue, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> We're on the boat, E's and O's. Yeah. Thank you. Catch up later in the week. Okay, guys, thanks. Oh, to the people. To the people. We, let's, yes. let's go to those people, shall we? Have to go to the people. I missed the people there. Been a long, frustrating time for people here. To the people we go. And to the people we go, Mondays and Fridays now with Harrison Price presentation finning canada finning canada is your local dealer for cat equipment built to handle work in western canada from heavy equipment for the job site visit the cat rental store chat with the knowledgeable staff get what you need buy parts rent tools power solutions or info finning.com so um thank you to everybody who reached out on friday blake and i attended the canucks and blues and we attended the Canucks and Blues with our new friend Piero Manetta, the Rogers Arena legend, who has been sitting behind the visitors' bench there for twenty some years. We had him in here in studio for an interview on uh, back in August, basically just to for the guy to explain who he is. Mm-hmm. Like he gets stopped everywhere we go, and we walked with him in the concourse, and it. sure enough, he got stopped there as well with people creating all sorts of narratives and storylines about Piero, and he's a very good sport about that. And so when we asked you to caption the photo on social media, you uh, you came forward with those sorts of quips. James on Twitter, maybe one day when I need a thing, you'll remember a thing. <laughs> he's not that kind of guy, I assure you. Yeah. I saw it take the cannolis uh, take in there as well. Yes, yes. And 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 Dave says, Piero, went to ele- elementary school in Burnaby with him. You guys finally tracked him down. Looking good, buddy. And that's the other thing I've learned is that everybody knows Piero. Yes. Even though nobody knew Piero. Oh. It, it was, both things were true at the same time. Yeah. Michael responded with his caption, Sam, Frodo, and Gandalf the Grey. <laughs> Uh, Don, headphones kid and his sister sure have <laughs> changed. That's Francesco, who has grown up. His son. He was sitting a few rows back. He sure was. We bumped him, uh, we bumped him back. Mm-hmm. Snell, two goats and a Blake Price. Hey! Oh! So mean. 
Trusted Vancouver sports. This is from Bertuzzi Naslin scores. Trusted Vancouver sports personality and two random guys in matching hats. <laughs> the hats weren't matching. They no. had the same logo, That's but right. they weren't matching hats. Yes, knows. And then, of course, the timeless easy one. AJ says the good, the bad, uh, the ugly. You can sort those up exactly for as you see fit. Thank you to Piero. We had a fantastic night at the honestly a vantage point that I have never experienced. Uh, my uncle used to have season tickets at the Bell Center a few rows up from the penalty box, but uh, this, of course, behind the benches. And the one thing I'll say, boy, uh, you get a complete sense of the speed of the game from down there like you don't get when it's you but it's harder to watch the puck well like you get blocked out a lot from the puck and, and i got a bunch of texts going can you hear the blues bench you can't not I, really. I heard barube on two occasions when he called the timeout and reamed them out because he gathered them and, and had some choice words and there was a um there was a stoppage in the first period where he, he, he basically bellowed at Jordan Cairo to shoot the puck. But other than that, heard nothing. I mean, Steve Ott, their assistant coach, was in front of us most of the Talking night. Talking the whole time, couldn't hear him. Couldn't hear a thing. I wonder if four rows up were there sort of above the glass. I wonder right. if they can Maybe hear better. Maybe they can hear it a little bit. I would say the best way to sum up those seats is um, not as good for watching the hockey, but a more sensory-laden oh, experience. The sensory overload yes. is certainly there. Yeah. And while we're at it, uh, shout out Johnny there, working the visitor's room at yes. Rogers Arena, yes. who's been an institution. Legend as well, yes. Got a chance to say hi and catch up with him a little bit. Bodog poll question from Friday. When would you rather go to a Canucks game, Saturday, Friday, or Sunday? Saturday won the poll was 68%. Friday got 23 Sunday just 9%. Glenn says Saturdays just have that extra feel to them. I get it, Glenn. Hockey Night in Canada has been an institution and all of that. Kyle always loved a Friday night game when I was working downtown. And that's probably more pronounced in other cities than it is here. Like, for example, like if you work in New York and Toronto, you don't got time to go home and come back no. to the rink for a seven o'clock start. But for those who work downtown here, completely get it. You also don't you have can, to wait for the city to fill up. The city's already filled up. Yeah. You can kill an hour or two, go for a leisurely dinner sort of thing, and then hit up the game. I, I voted Friday. I'm big on Friday games. Josh says, I may be one of the few who doesn't mind a 4 p.m. start on Saturday. You get the game and then home for dinner. Nothing like East Coast bias time change with the added bonus of seeing the Nucks crush the Leafs or Habs. Josh, the other people who like the 4 p.m. start, arena workers, particularly security. Scott says, for me, it's a Saturday night or a Sunday afternoon. I'm too tired after the work week for a Friday game huh? and want to relax at home during a Sunday evening over going downtown. Chris and Duncan live on the islands, work. Uh, so Saturday is the only option that works, and yep, we get that. We've heard from island fans far and wide and good on the BC lines for adopting start times that work for the island, not to mention this. Told you about last week. Hello, Ferries can get you to and from this playoff game Saturday. Uh, Cameron says, I'll go in ownership changes, and auto isn't particularly... Focus on the day. About day of the week, auto voted May June. <laughs> <laughs> well done, auto. What else we got here on 
to the people. Uh, I tell me I'm wrong from basketball, Phil. Brock Purdy's vision of Linsanity is over in San Francisco, and he has come back to reality. Is this a Linsanity case, do you think, or is this just a, no, a blip for well, a young quarterback? Three losses in a row. Yeah. First of all, I was surprised he played. Um, there, uh, I believe Adam Schefter tweeted about it last week that for guys who are in the protocol as late as Brock Purdy was in the protocol, they typically don't play on the weekend, so you do wonder whether he rushed back a little bit. I'm going to give Purdy a little bit more of a shelf life than Lynn Sanity. Yeah, Lynn Sanity is a very weird chapter in sports. Mm-hmm. So good. Mm-hmm. So like, like not even just good. So good mm-hmm. for a very short It was a very weird time. Uh, takeaways from the 4-3 overtime loss to the Rangers. Knucklehead says the Canucks struck gold with DeSmith as a backup. And boy, you're saying that after what was maybe his worst game yeah. of the year. It, it Gold might be a little strong, but he's been very good. And, you know, as Patterson always says, you need somewhere 10, 15 wins from that backup goalie if you're going to be a playoff team. Man, he's almost a fifth of the way to, to that point. I think DeSmith can get you there. But I, I, I would, you know, Casey DeSmith, is, I do not have the nerves for him as a starting goaltender. So I think that's maybe one of the reasons why he's not in the NHL. But well, he's in the NHL. But or sorry, not, not, not a starting in goalie. Yeah. You know, I, I don't mind him more of a wild adventurous yeah. goalie when you're just spotting him duty. And if he can, you know, catch lightning in a bottle, right. uh, as you said, 10, 15 times a year, then you're good. And really, last year was his only poor season in the National his Hockey League. His percentages so, are great yeah. for his career. Jordan says they deserved a better outcome, but they can hang with any team in the league. They're proving it. Certainly. I, I love the fact that the shots on goal thing has been remedied because I was mm-hmm. very worried there on the road trip as they go games two, three, and four getting wildly mm-hmm. outshot, but that's calmed down. Mm-hmm. Uh, P, uh, PD Selkie Hans says Canucks took a top five Eastern team to OT and back to back and got drawn. The short stick easily could have been four in a row. I mean, should have been, but the refs had other ideas. Yeah, could have quite right. Um, Jay Cox says ref should do a post-game interview. That's absolutely ridiculous non-call, and he's absolutely right. Is there, Well, Trevor says Canucks are fun again. Mm-hmm. Well, they were fun last year too, but they weren't going to win all the games mm-hmm. last year. But they've yeah. been fun for a couple of years. Rob says, I listen to that flake. Ron McLean say refs don't want to decide games in overtime, not calling the trip on the Rangers. They had no problem calling too many men when the Canucks were already shorthanded. And it's just a canard to begin with. Yeah. You decide a game as much with a non-call yeah. as you do with a call. Yeah, and Saturday night was proof proof positive. Yeah, they don't sidestep the criticism. If they, if you make a call in OT and it's a borderline call and they score on the on the power play, guess what? You're yeah. going to get ripped as well. And Victoria says awful non-call, but Shesterkin is amazing. And yes, um, that is one of the best goaltenders in the world. In fact, Jeff and I were talking on Rinkwide Blake. If at the end of the year the New York Rangers were the best defensive team in hockey with that goaltender and the six blue liners they can roll out, I wouldn't be at all surprised. Would you? No. No. With Rick Campbell, head coach, British Columbia Lions, they host the West Semi Saturday at 3.30. Coach, how are we doing? Good. Yeah, we're excited. We start in at 9 o'clock this morning, uh, getting ready for the Stampeders. Pretty peculiar having a bye last week of the regular season. How did you handle it going into this playoff home playoff game? Yeah, it is strange. When the schedule came out, I was a little bit, 
you know, it's, it's not, you think it's not ideal, but the way it worked out, it actually was very good. Um, we went on a run of, I think, playing six straight games to end the season. And so to have that extra week, one, to rest people up, to get their bodies back. But two, we also stayed in town and had three practices, which I thought was really productive. We could work on ourselves and, and do that. So all in all, I think it, it worked out really well. And um, like I said, we started in at nine o'clock as far as our our Calgary prep week. And I think guys are feeling good and ready to go. How's the health? I mean, you had a couple guys banged up. Lucky you had the, the little shoulder stinger or something in the last game as well. Did the week help you with the health as well? Yeah, definitely. There was a, there's a group of guys that were banged up. Adrian Green missed last game. There were a few guys that were just uh, banged up after playing 18 games of football. So I think it was hugely valuable to have this time and, Really, we get 15 days in between those two games, which I think uh, I think it'll be a big help to us. How's your quarterback, Rick? He didn't finish either of the last two games. I know one was by design, but how much did the rest help Vernon? I think it was really good. He um, he wouldn't have come out of that game. That was me taking him out of that game. But he, I think he's feeling really good. He's been in here every day, and um, just even talking to him early this morning, he's in down lifting in the weight room. Looks good, moving around, and. Uh, like I said, I know he's uh, completely excited and ready to go for uh, for the playoffs. Your uh, passing game has been extraordinary this year. We've talked about your receiving group. Guys drop out and guys step up and uh, onwards and upwards with the passing game. What about the running game, Rick? Uh, and at this stage of the season, can you fix it? Do you need it? Uh, where you are? In ter- where are you in terms of running the football? Yeah, we want to. We absolutely want to be able to be balanced and to be able to run the ball. We we. Um, we had Hardy playing running back the last couple of weeks, who was a newer guy because uh, Mizell was out with a rib. So he was going to be out anyway. So we wanted to get a look at a guy and make sure we're not missing out on anyone. And um, uh, Mizell is going to be our guy this week. And he's feeling healthy and good, which is good. And when he is healthy and feeling good, he has the ability to make big plays. And so uh, obviously we're looking for that. I want to do, though, what's best, what we do best. And if that's throwing, then we're going to th- throw more than we run. But obviously you want to be able to run the ball, especially when you when you need to be able to do it or in short yardage or whatever that is. Well, Mizell had a great start to the season. Um, w- yeah. What happened as the year went along? With well, the like I, said, I think when he's feeling good, when his body's feeling good, um, then he's, he's, a, he's an excellent player. And uh, he's had to work through a few things. And... Uh, you know, he fought through, he had this rib thing going on that he fought through for a couple of games. And then um, I think it was valuable. He's been out two games and that and a bye week. So he should be fresh and ready to go. And, um, you know, he's like I said, the good the good thing about him is he can turn a ordinary play into a big play. And so uh, we're looking for that. And also him out of the backfield. He's made some um, really good catches on some even longer throws out of the backfield, and so we're looking to continue that. What'd you learn about yourself versus the Stamps? They were a desperate team. It's, it was a playoffy kind of game for them, anyways. And maybe that's the thing you couldn't quite manufacture that desperation that they had. Um, but did you learn something that you can apply to Winnipeg or to sort to the uh, to the uh, game number two against them? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you uh, you learn about how people match up, what their players are capable of, what our guys are, and seeing them head to head and what they do. But I think as far as the three games we played against them, I'm, I mean, obviously we self scout and do all that stuff. But it's going to be a a new game and a new week, especially with the the playoffs. And then we also definitely learned that we can't. You know, we took some very untimely penalties. Other than that, that game is going to be tight at halftime if we don't 
screw around with some of those penalties. So we're making sure we get that addressed. And, um, um, you know, you can't afford to do that anytime in football, but especially in the playoffs, you got to keep your money in your pocket, you know, with, with what you get. And so, uh, why do you think those guys were, were short? Why, why do you think tempers were high there at a game? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. We, we've talked about it a lot. We've gone through, it's a very small group of people. So it wasn't the yeah. whole football team. Yeah. So I always try to remember that it's easy to get mad at the whole thing, but you know, <laughs> 99% of it, of the people are good. It was a couple guys that got out of sorts and obviously it, uh, cost us at the wrong time everything's magnified in the cfl playoffs rick how do you feel about your special teams not just your kicking game but your returns and your coverage teams good i think uh you know terry's terry williams i think is leading the whole league in return yards and i think we've upped our game on that front um and uh it's going to be a challenge they're 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 good on special teams too they have a a special teams coordinator that's been around forever that understands the league and all that. But I think it's going to be a good battle, but I think our special teams has made some big plays. I know we lead the league in blocked kicks too. So, um, you know, we know how that goes in the CFL. If you make, if you can make one big special teams play in the game, it can uh, definitely swing it for the, for that team. We've been talking, Rick, about just the incredible contributions you've gotten from your Canadian players this year, whether it was Sean White on kicks, whether it was Katoy and McInnes in the passing game, or Mackey on special teams, of course, what Betts has done in the two linebackers. Uh, a word or two about your Canadian con- contingent, because you've started many of them, and they have uh, responded this year with career seasons. Yeah, we really don't we don't uh, plan this like, hey, we want to make sure we get all the Canadians playing. We just want to get the best football players, regardless of American or Canadian. And I mean that as a compliment is we're going to going to play the best guys. But it's, uh, you know, two things of winning in this league is one is finding your own Canadian players, having good Canadian content. And then, you know, finding your own American players are the two recipes to building a building a good roster. I know that uh, the league sent out a thing to all the teams and we start we play more plays with Canadians on offense and defense than anyone else in the league. And like I said, that's not a goal of ours, but um, it shows we're certainly not afraid. Just like playing Nathan last year at quarterback, we didn't get caught up on whether he was Canadian or not. We just wanted to play the, play the best guy. So good on those guys for stepping up and, uh, and making big plays for us. Do you make any adjustments on defense uh, to accommodate, you know, the last couple of games they've run on, particularly in the second half versus Winnipeg and then um, Calgary uh, all night long? Um, is it same old, same old? Is that just a, an outlier for you guys, or do you make some adjustments? Well, number one is we have to cancel the run with all 12 guys, and that means that, you know, when they use receivers to block, our DBs have to attach to the box and, and fill gaps and do those things. So football – Football these days in any league you play in, it requires all all guys on the field on defense to to play their role in stopping the run. Also, Calgary, it's a whole different game when we're down by fourteen as opposed to playing in front. That's another that's a huge another part of the the puzzle for us. So, um, you know, we want to be able to start fast and not not get behind on the scoreboard like we did in this in this other game, as that's going to help the cause too. But um, their running backs are are um, compact and small but they're strong and fast and so you got to be they can they can fit through some very small gaps so you need to make sure that uh you know that we're sound and on uh make sure everybody's canceling the run lastly rick um second year in a row you're hosting this game what are your thoughts and expectations for the crowd and the atmosphere at it's BC awesome. placed on saturday it's awesome i remember last year going to the game and the you know it's a real deal atmosphere big time atmosphere it's loud it makes a huge difference to our team 
Um, the fans always do a great job. I know our ticket salespeople, um, you know, I know last year we were in the low 30s. And, you know, if you ask them, they want to try to get it to 40. So I hope I hope that happens. And um, uh, but regardless, I know the fans will be great, great atmosphere. And it's a big deal to host playoff games. Not everybody, not everybody does it. So we're proud to host a playoff game. And obviously, we want to use it to our advantage on Saturday. Should be fun. Yep. Best of luck, Rick. Thanks for the time. Okay, cool. Thanks. So Harrison Price from Wall Center presentation, Applewood Auto Group. You can text us, 778-402-9680. It's the Great Clips text message inbox. Great Clips. It's going to be great. Uh, Mondays now, we'll do the poll question results and to the people we go, as you just heard. But wanted to take time to mention this awful tragedy from the world of hockey. And a, uh, a player who's got a lot of Vancouver Canucks connections too as you read through the story and the life and times of adam johnson well as a former penguin um adam johnson was uh connected to uh jim rutherford uh, obviously and uh also his one and only national hockey league goal uh was assisted by current vancouver Canuck sam lafferty uh so there's uh, a lot of people with uh, direct ties to, to Adam Johnson, knowing the person that he was. Um, uh, not a bad word said about him, that's for sure. And it, it's just something you just take for granted that it's just not going yeah. to happen. Um, we have seen some cardiac issues in in, in uh, hockey with slap shots. Remember in Italy, I believe a guy took the slap shot off the chest and mm-hmm. caused a cardiac event. Um, so we had heard about those sort of freak accidents. Um, we've always been worried well, about this. We've I always mean, been worried about this. Clem Blarczyk, of course, most notably. Richard Zednick. But never did we think it mm-hmm. would actually get to this point, and, and yet here we are with Adam Johnson uh, suffering a, a slit throat via skate blade, and, and uh, yeah, yeah. He passes away on the weekend. In Should those in Kevlar England. neck, uh, I know they're, the minor hockey plays with them. Um, you know, players don't like them. They just they just get to be a sweaty mess by the end of a, of a game. But um, I mean, it, it seems like a first of all, you don't know necessarily this would have seen because they right. do move around on your neck as you play. Right. I mean, there's no guarantee it would have solved it. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, that also sounds a little bit like grapes back in the day. Well, you know, sometimes the stick can get up under that. Shield, and that's even worse. You know, we've made, I'd like to think, some progress with regards to the safety of hockey and yeah. the shields, for, first and foremost, yeah. but also the glass, the curved glass. Yes, yeah. right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And uh, the netting for fans. I'll remember uh, young Brittany Cecil in Columbus. Yep. All those years ago, uh, you do wonder whether this is the next frontier for hockey all the way up to the NHL level. Errors and omissions from Friday's program. I'm going to self-report because I said Quinn Hughes, 180 pounds in the Canadian division here. I'm not sure he was 180 pounds. He's, they list him at 180 now, but I'm thinking he was closer to 170 back in the Canadian division year. And 
Frankly, if you told me they inflated uh, Quinn Hughes' weight a little bit, I would not be surprised. No, no. I would not be surprised there either. Grady Sass, anything else from the inbox on E's and O's? Nope. Ah, time for Blake's Bodog line of the day. Bodog, your source, free casino games, poker strategy, and sports odds. Who you like, what you got? Uh, well, tomorrow, of course, we've got uh, some more MLS action as well. So a chance to uh, see what's happening and. If you're a Vancouver Whitecaps fan, maybe uh, try to make some money on the exploits of others. First round of the MLS playoffs spread everywhere. I mean, they're still playing game ones as late as Wednesday, if you can believe it. Hmm. Columbus hosting Atlanta, and Tiago Almada's there for Atlanta as the road team, plus 350. Wow. But they've got the <laughs> the possibility for a spectacular game from their stars. So I'll go with the visitors there, plus 350. On your Bodog line of the day. Thanks for listening, everybody. A reminder, subscribe to us on Rinkwide wherever you get your podcasts. Follow on social. That's Twitter, Insta, Facebook, TikTok, and YouTube. And, of course, support the community sponsors you hear us talking about. Keep it local.